Um, but as you guys know, I get to uh, preach, uh, teach, speak a couple of times a year uh, for, for, for about every quarter is kind of how it averages out. And every week, though, I, I look up here at this pulpit and I'm like, we can do better, guys, Aww. right? I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. And I also serve as the creative director, which is, it's a fancy name Kurt gave me. It means I have, I put ideas, I have a lot of ideas and then people, and we just work together to make them happen. But I'm gonna use my creative authority and I'm gonna say, we need a new pulpit, right? So bring it out. That's how it works around here. Yeah. I got an idea and make it happen. Kurt. Uh... <laughs> yeah, isn't this good? <laughs> oh, we. Oh, I love this. Look, it just just tells for you online people what we stand for. That. Uh, we have a, a, a bit, we, we have a little room in the budget, although I think I paid for this. <laughs> uh, okay, that's how it works. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, um, so thank you, Jesus, for this pulpit. We, we, we will preach your word with on this pulpit. Um, I think Kurt's going to have a problem bumping into it, honestly. Eddie, he doesn't care. He's like, just stands here anyways. This is perfect for John. As you know, he's preaching Good Friday, so it's kind of tall. And then Marty, I don't know if you remember that sermon he preached without shoes. Yeah. yeah. He's going to stub his toes on this one, so he has to wear shoes. Um, so let me get this uh, thing started. This is a full sermon. If you know me, I don't have a problem with content. I really pack it in there. My, the thing that I work on is, is delivery and presentation and actually making things more succinct. So bear with me. I, please have grace for me. Um, but as you know, we are doing um, this series called The Way of Jesus. And I am teaching Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43 today. And the title that, um, I've, that the Lord led me to, you'll see it, is Humble Faith in the Authority of Christ. Humble Faith in the Authority of Christ. And in these verses, we're going to be looking at the accounts of two people that could not be more different than one another. But similarly, they were experiencing desperation. Two people living opposite lives socially, economically, physically, and spiritually. And for some divine reason, their lives collide for a brief moment. And we, being on this side of the New Testament, get to see how their differences work together to display God's divinity. This passage is so beautiful because we are going to see lives transformed. We are looking at a woman who suffered for years, who was desperate for relief, and a man who was facing his worst case scenario. I wonder if any of you can relate to them today. Maybe you've had an accident or an illness that has left you in chronic pain. Maybe your wounds are not physical, but you have been wounded emotionally. Maybe you've just been simply desperate for years for some kind of relief, and you're like, God, can I get some relief from this pain? I can relate to this just a bit in my life. I have been desperate for years um, in, in my own life. And, and like Kurt said, God has really been showing me something about healing this year. In fact, my word for this year or phrase is grace for healing. First, I got grace. And then I prayed the Lord about it because it was kind of 
you know, bland. Grace, it's good though, but it's bland. What else, Lord? And I hear grace for healing. And when I get a word like this, I am, I lean in. Every year I lean into the word. And today we are going to be reading about miracles in the Bible. And but let me tell you about a little miracle that I had in my own life. You guys might remember that I talked a little bit about my lower back issues. And I got a, about a year ago, I got an MRI that led me to a steroid shot good to go, got me some confidence. I started Pilates to work with mobility. That gave me confidence to do some strength training. And I believe that those are the keys that God lined up for me to get more confident. And I have regained some strength and some core strength. But a few months ago, you guys have heard me talk about that I've I'm joined this uh, cohort called Propel Ecclesia, and I went to California for this summit. Christine Kane was leading a moment uh, of healing prayer. And every single time a healing prayer moment happens, I'm raising my hand and she directs us to put our hand on our on the place where you have pain. People prayed for me, and I did. I felt the warmth in my back, and I believed. I prayed in faith, like, God, please just do it. I need to be mobile for my kids. I wake up in the bed in the morning like this. I'm like, oh, stretch, yoga pose, get back, get back to normal. That's how it is for me. Today is March 26th. That was February 8th, which was the first night of the revival at Asbury. By the way, the Lord was all over the nation. But I have not had pain in this side of my back since that day. Yes, I've had stiffness, but I have not had that acute pain. I, I don't have the MRI to see if something's been fixed, but the Lord took away my sensation for pain here. I still have to do my due diligence and strength train. Yes, I have to follow that key for healing. But I want to tell you that if you need some encouragement for an area of like this in your life, God can do it still. He's the same God then as, as he is now. He can do, he did miracles then and he will do them now. And he, is for, he will be faithful to provide you the keys that you need to your healing. But I also want to acknowledge the tension that we feel in the waiting, in the process. So before I open up to the book of Mark, before you guys do, I'd love to pray and just ask the Lord's uh, spirit to comfort us and to encourage us. God, thank you for your presence in this room. Clearly you have designed this service through every word that has been spoken. Thank you for how you have led me in this sermon. May the rest of these words be yours. And Lord, for anyone in this room that needs healing, Lord, you are so faithful to provide the keys to healing. And I believe actually you have more for us too. We have faith in that. And I ask for your encouragement to come for those who are in the waiting. They are experiencing that tension of why God have I not yet received it for me. Holy Spirit, comfort and encourage. You are here with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, when we read chapter five, we are going to see boots on the ground, Jesus. We are going to see Jesus in action. He's healing. He's delivering. He's raising people from the dead. Wow. When, is, when have we seen that? But remember, Jesus is the ultimate multitasker. So when he works or when he speaks a word, he's working at the micro levels and he's working at the macro levels. He's working in the things that we can see and he's working in the things that we cannot see. So before we dive into uh, the, our verses, I want to just give you, I want to paint a bigger picture that we are seeing here in chapter five. The chapters that we are looking at uh, for, Four, four, five, and going on in six, they pose a much bigger question. In Mark chapter four, verse 41, we see th this question, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the big picture question here is, who is this Jesus? And the answer is, he is the authority. He is the authority over the natural world, the unseen world, sickness, and death. 
And in Mark 4:39, we see Jesus's authority over the natural world. Jesus, the verse says, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind and seed, sea obeyed him. And then in Jesus's authority over the unseen realm, we see in the beginning part of chapter five, Jesus heals a man with a legion of demons. This would be thousands of unclean spirits that have resided in this man in this region, and they want to stay in the region. They are fully aware of who Jesus is. In fact, they call him son of the most high God, and they beg Jesus to let them stay. And in Matthew 8, 32, in a different account, it's, it says that with one word, go, Jesus exercises his authority over them, giving them permission to enter the pigs. That is his authority over the unseen realm. And then the verses that we're looking at today, we're seeing Jesus' authority over sickness and in death. He's going to instantly heal a woman of a 12-year-long battle with a chronic disease. And he's also going to raise a 12-year-old girl from death. In the Gospel of Mark, there are 11 documented healings, six miracles, four exorcisms, and one person raised from the dead. But there are countless in scripture. The need was so great. And we're going to see that the bigger picture moving forward beyond chapter five, we're going to see that Jesus' authority is now multiplying. He is going to commission the 12 disciples to deliver, anoint, and heal because the need was so great. Mark 6, 7 says, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So we're going to see in chapter five that Jesus is allowing his disciples to witness how he ministered to others, how he did this thing, and then he's going to send them off to practice in the authority of his name. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They don't take this authority by brute force. Jesus delegates it to them. Authority is delegated. First, God delegated his authority to Jesus. He gives them authority over all things. Then Jesus gives the disciples authority. Jesus says in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And we are his disciples. We have the same authority that Jesus uses through power and through our faith to heal and deliver others. That's why prayer circles are so important. That's why families and friends should pray together. That's why we should go to where the hurting are to pray and to declare the name of Jesus. And that is why I am wearing my snake bracelet. <laughs> Stop on those. Snakes, scorpions and snakes, by the way, represent oppression, the, demon, the, the activity of the demonic. It's not actual snakes, just so that's clear. It is what it represents, evil. I also um, carry this rock with me. Where's my rock? Do I have my rock? Okay, I do have my rock. I also carry this rock with me because I often struggle with worry and I also struggle with uh, lack of confidence in what Jesus has called me to do. And so I carry this rock on a one side. It's, I talked about this if gathering. What I am leaving behind, what I have to make the choice is, is to leave behind the worry, my lack of confidence, and that I am not called to do this. I write that on one side. On the other side, I write authority now. God has given me, you, the authority now to do these things. So it's, you have to remind yourself. We have to walk in this power. But so the big picture wrap up here is Jesus is the authority. The natural world already knows this. 
The principalities and the powers in the unseen realm already know this. And here in Mark chapter 5, the disciples are beginning to learn this. We have to take these truths that we are reading about in the word that are in our mind, and we have to put them in our hearts. There has to be this transfer. There has to be this, this um, movement from our head to our hearts. So as I prepare, prepared for this sermon, I got the sense that the Lord was saying he wants us to trust in, the, in, in his authority and that he has authority over all things and that he wants us to respond in faith and use the same authority. So that's why I chose the title, Humble Faith in the Authority of Christ. <clears throat> Let's move on from um, the bigger picture here and go to verses 21 through 43. So you open your Bibles um, or look on the screen. I'll have the verses up here for you. But there is so much to stop and observe in this passage. I'm going to break it up into a few chunks so we can keep the flow. It is a lot. Um, but to start here, you've probably heard of this. This is called a Markin sandwich. Mark uses this literary technique nine times in his gospel. And it's where one story starts. And this is going to be Jairus and his, and his dying daughter. And then a second un, um, seemingly unrelated story interrupts the first story. And this is the, we're going to see the woman's healing. And then um, the, the first story, the bottom piece of the bread, um, this is um, where the story, we're going to see the first story end. And this is Jairus' daughter being raised to life. So keep that in mind. That's why it's, you can't really break up one and tell one story and then break up the other. They're really, they're, they're in, they've intersected. Mark um, 5, 21 through 24, we'll begin. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So in this first section, we're meeting Jairus. He is a ruler at what is likely the Capernaum synagogue. This is likely the same synagogue where Jesus did some of his teachings. And his job meant that he had authority over all of the activities in the synagogue. This position would have come with wealth. It would have, people would have admired him. And people would have really regarded him as the religious elite. Well, these religious elite, the Jewish authorities, did not agree with Jesus' teachings. So it would not have looked good for Jairus to be associating with Jesus, this radical prophet. So when Jairus falls down at the feet of Jesus and begs him to heal his dying daughter, he is casting off his pride and showing that he cares more about his dying daughter than he does his reputation and his social status. Every parent would, would, would feel that way. With this act of faith, he was willing to jeopardize his livelihood and his position at the synagogue. He knew that this was his divine appointment with the one true healer. And now this healer has agreed to come with him. So let's see what happens next. Verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Okay, so now Jairus has just been interrupted big time. This is the meat in the sandwich, by the way. 
he's been interrupted by this woman who was known to us as simply the woman with the issue of blood. And all of Jesus' attention goes to her. So where's Jairus? What's he doing? Well, he's still on the scene. He's probably being bumped and pushed by all the people in the crowd, and now he is going to have to wait. He has just shown this risky act of faith of, by falling at Jesus' feet in desperation. He's probably filled with this urgency to get to his daughter. And this hope, though, now, because Jesus has just agreed to come with him. Can you imagine what he's going through in this moment? I think anyone with children can imagine this desperation that Jairus is experiencing. I mean, how would you feel or what would you do if you were interrupted like this, especially by this unclean woman? I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but if I were Jairus and my child were dying, this would be a major test for me. All the passages in scripture that say, stand firm, be courageous, stand firm. Jesus is ha- Jairus is having to learn in this moment that he must stand firm in his faith. I don't know if any of you can relate to this or have had this quick turnaround where you've just done this risky act of faith. You've put it all out there for Jesus and then boom, a challenge hits. And you're like, really? (laughs) There's this moment of temptation to freak out, to let doubt take over. I wonder if Jairus thought, Jesus must not care. Why did he stop? Doesn't he know how urgent this is? But no, Jairus stays put and he shows he is standing firm in his faith. Even if he might have been totally freaking out on the inside, his actions show that he remained, his faith remained in Jesus. But this woman now, she has just interrupted Jairus' journey. What's her story? Well, her story, she's unclean. That's it. No name even. That's what people know of her. I mean, how dare she? She knows she isn't supposed to be touching other people, bumping into other people. She knows she's not supposed to be in these big crowds. In fact, she's known this for 12 years, that if she's touching anyone, she's making everyone else ceremonially unclean. Let's read in scripture why this is the case. I'll summarize because it's a lot of verses, but we see this in Leviticus 15, 19. Um, You guys can, I'm going to summarize, but you guys can uh, read it. Whenever a woman has a flow, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. Anything on which she lies or sits on will be unclean. If you sit on the same things or touch those same things, you're going to be unclean, and you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. And if a woman has a flow for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual flow, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is just ceremonially unclean. When it finally stops, she must count off seven days. Then she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons and present them to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest then will offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify her before the Lord and she will be made clean. Okay, so that's the situation with her. She's been suffering for 12 years as this unclean woman. She's desperate. She's tried everything. In fact, this might be what she would have tried. In the Talmud, which is an ancient document, ancient Jewish teachings related to the Torah, um, within it is a prescription that she might have followed. Let me read this for you. Take the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a fractional silver coin, with alum the same, of crocus the same, and let them be bruised together, and given in wine to the woman that has the issue of blood. 
If this does not benefit, take Persian onions, three pints of them, boil them in wine and give her them to drink and say, arise from thy flux. If this does not cure her, set her in a place where two ways meet and let her hold up a cup of wine in her right hand and let someone become behind her and frighten her <laughs> and say, arise from thy flux. Think of hiccups, right? Maybe that's where we get that. But if that do no good, take a handful of cumin, a handful of crocus, and a handful of fenugreek. Let these be boiled in wine and give them to her to drink and say, arise from thy flux. If these do no good, other doses over 10 in number are prescribed. Same thing. Then let her dig seven ditches, burn some cuttings of vines, this poor woman, not yet four years old, and let her take in her hand a cup of wine and let her sit over the ditch. And then tell her at each time she gets up, arise from thy flux. On this side of things, this day and age, that would seem silly, right? We know better. These remedies that she might have tried. But remember, she is an unclean woman. No man is going to marry her because she's bleeding because he, she can't give him kids. So she has no likely financial support. So where is she getting all this money to buy all of these things? She probably tried one of these things a year because she didn't have money to buy all of these things to try. Just hopelessness. But we do the same thing, right? Where do we often go for answers? Yep. Hey, Google, we search our symptoms to see what it could be and what could be done about it. So just for fun, I looked up some fun remedies for some common things. You'll see them on the slide. I won't read them all, but how to get rid of warts. You wrap your fingers on duct tape. Tried it, done it. I had a bunch, joined the army. You can't join the army with warts. So they said to up, wrap up your fingers in duct tape. It totally worked. All right. How to get rid of bad breath. Eat celery. Uh, this one didn't make it on there, but how to treat athlete's foot fungus. Some of you clue in. Uh, mince some garlic cloves and mix with olive oil and put them on the affected areas. It's, honestly, it's awesome that God has given us natural remedies for things and that we can go to the internet. To, it's super convenient to find these solutions. But where do you go when you need answers for more serious things? Like if you ask, hey, Google, what does the future hold for me this month? You could get answers like, well, since the moon is in Pisces, the powers of empathy are likely to be strong, so you will have an increased awareness of humanity this month. <laughs> this might seem totally harmless and fun, but you could be opening a door for the enemy to deceive you or to fill you with fear. These internet answers could lead you down a path that God never intended for you. As believers, we are called to take everything to Jesus. Instead of saying, hey, Google, uh, what do I do about all this anxiety I'm feeling where the first thing it might tell you is buy this crystal and wear it around your neck or buy this salt lamp and this crystal and put it by your bed. Instead, we need to say, hey, Jesus, I have been feeling overwhelmingly anxious. What can I do? So point number one is as believers, we are called to take everything to Jesus. As believers, we are called to take everything to to Jesus. Just like Jairus and the woman have shown for us, we are called to take everything to him, every concern, every trial, every sin. And once this revelation that Jesus can help us, deliver us, and heal us goes from our heads to our hearts, our random search for healing elsewhere can stop. Not that we don't go to the doctor, not what I'm saying at all, but we go to him. This woman with the issue of blood, she heard about what Jesus could, could do. So how did she hear about this? Verse 28, I'll remind you again, even if I touch his garments, 
I will be made well. She had heard the reports from others. And what does this mean? Where does she get this? Uh, Diego, I mean, Jesus, Diego, could you come up? Uh, where's that hair? Where's that flowing hair? Okay. Um, okay, this is, <laughs> this is a talit. And Emery, uh, Brent Emery gave this to me, likely from one of his trips to um, Israel. This is called a talit. And Jesus likely would have worn something like this. He did. All right, around here. All right. And on the corners, these are called zit zit. Okay? Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. These would be the wings. When they heard that, that the, that was the prophecy of Jesus, who's to come, healing in his wings. These would be the wings that he's walking around. So this woman, she, all she knows that to do is to go up and touch these things. Thank you. Although, if you would like to just rest with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> now this woman is actually seeing this man that people call the Messiah, the one prophesied about that will come with healing in his name, in his wings. I mean, what if you, yes, I'm the queen of props, what if you were digging your seventh ditch and you see this man coming to you? Like, that's him. I would throw that ditch, throw that shovel down, and I would run to him because he is my only hope that you would be finally get healed. She saw this as her divine appointment. She's thinking, if the healer is in the room, I am going to pursue him. But, if her, but her pursuit is going to come at a cost. Just like Jairus, who risked his reputation and his position, what this woman does is costly too. It is culturally not cool. It's rude. It's disrespectful. She's making people unclean, but she does it. Her heart believes that she can be healed with one touch. Now, a difference to note here is that Jairus asks for healing with his words, and she asks for healing with a touch. They're both in public, but hers is a secret request. And I want to take this moment that we can and we should do both. There are times to ask for Jesus for help, his help out loud in public. And then there are times that we can ask him in that secret place. Jesus will receive both kinds. In this case, Jesus heals her instantly. And then he feels some of his power had left him. And I love that he had the compassion to ask the person who had had the faith enough to touch him, who, it, who touched me. This is a compassionate question. This exchange that we read about between Jesus and this woman, it brings her to her knees, face down. I remember a time in my life when this revelation went from my head to my heart. I had heard this sermon by Beth Moore called Face Down. I highly recommend you listen to it. Um, it's from several years ago, and um, what she does is she pulls from every scripture uh, she pulls from scripture every single instance where someone falls on their knees before the Lord. Then she explains the situation and the circumstances that they each faced and how God responds to them. She explains that if you need a fresh word or a direction from the Lord, you get face down. She says if you're fighting a heavy battle in your life, you get face down before the Lord. If you're surrounded by conflict, you fall on your knees and get before the Lord, which is very interesting because the first inclination in times of conflict is to fight back. 
not necessarily surrender. She also says that if you feel like you're under attack, you get face down. This is a big one. If you just feel that being obedient to the Lord is just too hard, you get face down. And there's a time that another time that I have found, and I'm sure she touches on it, um, is when you take this posture of humility and surrender is when you want to praise him for all that he has done in your life. King David writes this psalm, and um, it's about how God had helped him. It's, he's gone through conflict, and he goes through attack, and he has emotional desperation, and God helps him through it. And then at the very end, in Psalm 22, verses 25 through 26, he says, For you, God, comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows, which included being on his knees and surrender before the Lord in front of people, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. So why did Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood feel compelled to take this posture of faith? Well, we know where they were both desperate. And the woman specifically, well, she was called. He asked her this question, who touched me? So point number two, we too are called, especially in times of desperation, to take the posture of humility and surrender on our knees at the feet of Jesus. And the good news is that Jesus is going to respond to these acts of faith. He is always faithful to lead us in his word or to say something that our hearts need to hear. He might not provide instantaneous healing, but he will shepherd you through your situation if you let him. The direction I'm going to take now was not something I had planned on. I was planning on going another route, but in this sermon, I faced a moment of desperation, like, oh my gosh, this is so much. This is, what am I, Lord, help me. <clears throat> and I was sitting on my couch, and I'm typing, and I have this thing with numbers. If I see 10, 10, 2, 2, 2, 3, 3, 3, I have a verse in my mind that goes with each one. So if I just happen to look at my phone, my mind goes directly to that verse, and I just it's just an encouraging moment. I see 10, 10 a lot, John 10, 10 a lot. And I think of John 10, 10. And so I was like, okay, Lord, I have nothing else. I'm going there. So let's go to this John 10, 10 to 14. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And I liked this uh, for the, I like to attach John 10, 10 to this Mark 5 uh, passage because we see here that um, if Jesus is the shepherd of our lives, he is not going to flee when trouble comes. If you allow someone else to shepherd your life like this hired hand, when trouble comes, he's out of there. He just bails because one, he doesn't care about you. Two, he's probably scared. Whoever this is, is leading your life. But what that leads is it exposes you to the wolves and he's going to come and snatch some of you up, but he's also going to scatter the rest of you. And what that means is he's going to scatter you from your flock, your other believers in your life. He's going to say, don't stay home. Don't go to church. That's what they, when you allow someone else to lead your life, he's going to, he, ba he bails. But for those who are left, they are encouraged in a way to continue in isolation. But when Jesus, he remains in your troubles. He will shepherd you through whatever trials and sicknesses you face. And we see that this with both Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. And so first I want to show you how Jesus shepherds this woman, with the, with, this woman in this passage. She needs more than physical healing, okay? So let's look at 30, verse 34 again. He says to her, daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. We see that he has healed her physically, but her disease has caused her to be isolated, alone, without family, and banned from entering the synagogue to worship. Her identity of being unclean has probably become so ingrained in her whole being, and Jesus wants to break off that lie and give her a new identity. With one word, he says, daughter. And instantly she knows that she is part of his family and she receives belonging. And he does this publicly. Instantly, he takes away her public identity of being unclean and gives her a new public identity of being a daughter of the Messiah. This is how Jesus shepherded her through her trial. He calls her daughter. He gives her the next key to her healing. He says, go in peace. So this is what she takes with her. And in a moment, I will show you how Jesus shepherded Jairus through his situation. But point number three, I want to make this point here first, is Jesus will shepherd you through your battles. You know, for me, there was a moment that I remember Jesus was speaking to me about my true identity. We were meeting at Mount Tahoma. I was in the middle of worship, and I was loving it. John and I had just graduated from the back row to the front row because our kids were no longer being called out. Uh, they weren't calling us out to get them from the nursery. So we're like, let's go up front. And I'm just praising and I'm thankful for this new promotion. Because, you know, if you sit up front, you're holier. <laughs> Jesus, see? Uh, but I was enjoying the worship and I heard the Lord repeatedly say to me, your name is Elishiva, Elishiva, Elishiva. That's the Hebrew name for Elizabeth, by the way. I know this because I have it tattooed on my back. Uh, but it means house of God. Jesus was repeating to me my true identity. I am a house of God, the God of the universe. And he's saying this to me. This vessel right here is going to be used to be to use to glorify God. He's telling me that you girl, I live in you and, and start acting like it. <laughs> uh, worship band, you can come on up. Um, we just have a little bit left of the message to read before I close. But now we're going to look at the bottom, ha- bottom part of this Markin sandwich. Remember Jairus? He's still waiting. He's still standing firm. He's just watched this woman get her healing. Um, Verse 35 through 43. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he, pulled, he, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. Of course, Jesus' actions and words here have so much meaning. Number one, from kicking the mourners out. These were not part of the family, by the way. These are paid mourners. That was the way that they did things. It's important to know that he's kicking them out because there are people that are going to come in this church. There are people that are going to come in your life. And because of their disbelief, their mocking, and their critique, they will affect the spiritual atmosphere in a negative way. 
They can quench the spirit of God. Number two, Jesus doesn't allow the mourners to stay, but who does he allow to stay? Peter, James, and John to see this miracle. He allows them to stay. Why? He's training them. And what do we know that Peter goes on to do? Well, we know from scripture in Acts 9.36 that Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. He simply says, Tabitha, get up. Jesus does a lot here in the private residence with this family, but keeping to our focus, how does Jesus shepherd Jairus through his trial? Honestly, it was after the worst case scenario had happened. I mean, what's left of there to do? His daughter, was, his daughter died, it's just too late. What's he gonna do? But Jesus speaks hope and life to this man. He says, do not fear, only believe. He is saying to Jairus, I have the authority over sickness and death. Believe it. So the last point to make here, point number four, remember Jesus' authority. Remember his anointing and remember what he has done for you. Isaiah 61, one through three says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. These are the things that he has been called, anointed to do. His anointing still stands. It's simply our job to believe and to remember. Psalm 103.2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Forget none of his benefits. Forget none of what he has came here to do. It's so easy to look at this chapter where Jairus or people, these people met Jesus one-on-one -on -one and they were healed and we think, I want that. And God can do that. He can instantly heal. But sometimes it's in the hard times, in the waiting, that God is trying to further develop us, a deeper dependence on him. There's purpose in our pain. And while we learn this, there are gonna be times when we feel God's closeness and we're gonna feel, his, we're gonna feel like he's so far away. Jairus must have felt that, even though he's right there. We don't know exactly what this woman was doing those entire 12 years, but we do know that she was desperate and that she ran to Jesus when she saw him. And I want to encourage all of us to do the same today. What steps do you need to take to run towards Jesus? We're about to sing a song that I asked a band to play for this uh, after my message. And I will pray for us, but I want to encourage that any, for anyone in this room to come up during this song. I know that we haven't done this before. I know there's not a lot of space. I know it's going to require bravery and boldness. But we should know from that woman, it doesn't matter if there's not a lot of space. She came in a busy crowd. She pushed her way through. You're going to see how this song, if you are feeling desperate in any area of your life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, this song is going to be the cry of your heart. You're going to feel that. And I want to encourage you to be brave and to come up for prayer. Jesus has given his followers authority to pray over people. There's people in this room. There's not better or worse. All of us can pray for any of us. But if you come up, just believe in, the, in, in Jesus' authority over sickness, over death, and believe in the authority that he has passed on to his disciples. Do not be afraid to show your desperation because what Jesus sees, he sees your faith. Maybe you're not desperate for healing, 
but maybe you desperately need to have someone shepherd your life, the good shepherd to shepherd your life. All you need to do is just to confess that you have not allowed Jesus to be the good shepherd of your life. I've done this myself. I would not encourage you to do this if I have not done this myself. When I wasn't allowing Jesus to shepherd me and John through our marriage, another church service, I literally ran up out of the seat and I came down to the end and I just cried and I asked for prayer and I said, I give up, I surrender. I ask you, God, to lead my life. I want you to be the good shepherd. And man, did he turn it around. Look at us now. John and I have been back together for five years, but we were headed for divorce. I I want to remind you of that. We were going the wrong way. And every time I look at John, I'm like, Jesus, thank you so much for, for shepherding me through this, us through this. So let me pray for us. Jesus, you are the authority over all things. You are the authority over sickness. You are the authority over death. You are the authority of our sin. You are the authority of the natural world. You can do anything, God. And we believe it. And we have faith for it. We have to. Because you're the one true healer. But we also admit, God, that like if you're not, if it's not in your will in this moment to provide instant healing, that you can shepherd us. You can give us the next key to our healing. You are so good for it. You are going to lead us on the right path. You're going to speak a word for over us. One word like daughter, one word like son, one word like arise. You're going to say it. You're going to do it. And we're going to believe it. And we're going to see transformation happen in our lives, God. I pray for anyone in this room that needs, that is desperate for you, desperate for a touch, God, that you give them that Holy Spirit unction to be brave and to come up and fall at your feet. And yes, there might be some that is just, that's just too much for them. Because, but you accept private requests too, God. We want to honor that. You accept private requests too. Thank you, God. Thank you so much for what you were doing. Thank you that we can count on you. Thank you for being our good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.